Now, that's what I call really creative graffiti, to find a skull and write guess who on it, you know, with a peace sign. Oh, by the way, speaking of graffiti, uh, for those of you that are interested in technological developments, oh, yes, of course, all of you are, I'm sure that, uh, you probably are aware that uh, that the graffiti war, which has been battling itself out to a, almost a a uh, violent uh, climax in the last few months is now approaching uh, the technological, uh, well, it's a contretemps. You know, it's almost like uh, when you develop the, the uh, when you develop the N-bomb, the nuclear bomb, the, the, the real, the big bomb, you know, cobalt bomb or something. Of course, it, it renders war totally uh, outdated, right? Well, you know that there are two forces battling out the, the, the on that, on that terrible battlefield these days. Have you been keeping abreast of that battle? You haven't. Well, that affects every one of you. Well, what are they? They're the anti-graffiti forces and the pro-graffiti forces. And uh, there have been companies developing uh, uh, anti-graffiti paints and stuff all over the country. Yeah, you, you coat your subway walls with this uh, invisible substance and no graffiti will stick on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a... It's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon, by the way. It's not just the subway slobs that are doing it. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, research done on it. Now, on the other hand, the, 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 the graffiti... I, I suspect that the graffiti thing today has done more for the, uh, 
for the felt-tip pen and the marker business than any one single thing. I wonder whether or not there could be a great lobby out there promoting it, you know. <laughs> and eventually, hey, you know what I see eventually? I eventually see endorsements. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there'll be, uh, you'll see in the window one of these cheesy little stores on 42nd Street. Somehow I always identify graffiti with that whole Times Square, 42nd Street era. I mean, it's just that, that area. It's just the whole, it's the mystique of it, you know. And I can just see one day uh, this uh, big collection of marker pens in the window, you know, all kinds of marker pens. And there you see this uh, this uh, creepy-looking guy wearing black shades, you know, looking at a big blown-up picture of him. And it says, uh, Tico, number one graffiti man in the nation, recommends the El, the El Saco graffiti pen. I use it in all my best work. And it shows him there, you know, with his hand up like that. He's just written his four-letter word. You just see the last letter being written. So. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I was... Uh, I have some important information for you people, though, that I do like to keep up on technological advancement. There is an outfit that's brought out. Uh, it's it's called the Dino Graffiti Kit. Dino. And it uh, it's... It's transistorized. And it, uh, hello? Okay, it's working. It's transistorized, and uh, it's to put life and color into your graffiti. You see, graffiti is getting to be so, so uh, all-encompassing. There's so much of it now that it's very difficult for any one particular graffiti artist to stand out. Now, graffiti is no longer graffiti. Graffiti used to be statements about life. You know, used to be statements about existence and life and time and sex. Whereas graffiti today now consists mostly of writing your name. Yeah, have you noticed that? That's a, the, the decline of graffiti has been really depressing. Uh, it, has, it has improved in quantity, tremendous quantity. But the quality is, forget it's, yeah, you know, just guy, Big Al, you know, he writes something like that with the name of a street. Big Al, 134, you know, that's a street number. And uh, but this, uh, I think though the technology is coming to the rescue because this outfit on the West Coast they call it Dinograph, just a, you know the graffiti outfit, it's a, the trick name. And what they do is they have a, a, a beautifully transistorized little graffiti kit that you can attach with the. It's got adhesive labels on the back, and you can attach little signs that have miniature transistorized neon tubes in them. And so you can have your own graffiti up in neon down there. Cheap, too. It's all done with plastic. The stuff is very inexpensive. You know, little neon signs. So you can put four-letter words with your name under it, and it lights off and on. You can get blinkers and the whole bit if you want. You'll add a little Broadway spectacular quality to it. Now, uh, that's that's all part of the technological world, which I think is uh, bears a closer examination. You know, last night I asked a question. I'm going to ask it again tonight. And I'm going to throw it at Jerry again. You never heard of J.C. Whitney, did you? That's that damn transcendental attitude. I mean, and, and uh, if you have never heard of J.C. Whitney, you're not a true American. I mean, you may be a true American, but let's put it this way. You're only a... Let's, you're an incomplete American. You're, you're, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine any walking around America never heard of Coke, you know, Coca-Cola? Walking around America never heard of Chevy... Walking around, yes, it's it's conceivable. Yes, of course. No, no, it is. I can conceive of anything. Don't say no. I can conceive of anything. I'm sorry, my head is such that I can conceive of any damn thing. Whether it's, <laughs> and it, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. 
But uh, J.C. Whitney, I, I, I would like to tonight take this occasion to salute J.C. Whitney. If you never heard of J.C. Whitney, and this is it. Look carefully. He's not impressed. J.C. Whitney is one of the most interesting organizations I know about. <laughs> and I, this is no commercial, friends. No way. And they turn out a fascinating volume of of curious lore. The only way I could describe it. The J.C. Whitney catalog. And whenever... It, Whenever I get my newest J.C. Whitney catalog, they have the spring catalog, and then they have the fall catalog, which is the whole year. See, that's the biggie. Well, I just got the the, the spring catalog, and it's beautiful. And it's it's everything in the world of automobiles. I mean, everything. I mean, it's available through this mail-order house. Now, I love to sit... I wonder how many of you are real real catalog cuckoos. I mean, I love to, to look at catalogs. And I think I think America is a, is a country of catalog perusers. Only in America can the whole Earth catalog become a bestseller and wind up uh, winning a, a National Book Award and all that stuff. Because we're catalog people. We really are. And, and you know, the whole idea of mail, buying stuff by mail, actually started here in America. And the reason that this, it started was because of the nature of America. You know, the very nature of the country involved. For example, uh, how it started was way back in the pioneer days. In fact, it actually started with the early Puritans. Would you believe it or not? Yes. Would you believe it that the, that the early settlers, the very earliest pilgrims who came to America, uh, obviously they didn't have factories or anything here. They had nothing here. They just had a couple of rocks, you know, and uh, in a lot of winter, and they had a few trees. Uh, Massachusetts winter can be rotten up there, too, you know. And uh, they had a few axes. They brought a few things with them, you know, stuff to cut down the wood and start fires and stuff like that. And they, they started to build these these little houses, and within five minutes, somebody says, you forgot the salt shaker. Well, there they were, see. So what they did was the, the ship returned, you know, and they ordered by mail some salt shakers. <laughs> That's a fact. And so that began the whole thing because we were far away from the source of supply, which was not true in Europe and the rest of the civilized world. We were in the frontier, so they began to they began to order stuff from places like England and that by the ships that would go, and then the, they would uh, they would get the stuff, and and uh, then then the, <laughs> there were the first catalogs turned out. Where uh, hey, what's going on in there? What happened? Wait a minute, something happened in the control room. Hold on a minute. You're opening the window. All right. That has to be a group activity, I'm sure. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this this whole premise, this whole premise of, of ordering stuff by mail, see, became a big, fantastic thing. And then, uh, as time went on, see, people began to move west. Factories grew up all along the East Coast and stuff. And uh, here, you know, a guy went through St. Louis on his way to the uh, Oregon Territory or something, and he he arrived out there in the in the boondocks, and he had to order almost everything by by mail ultimately. And so, the, did. Did you know that most of the the uh, famous mail, uh, what was the name of that famous outfit, uh, the Pony Express, but they had a name, uh, oh, that's still operating. It's the uh, famous, uh, oh, what, that's right on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, you see their buckles around. People buy their buckles, and they constantly... Uh, 
the Pony Express outfit. Anyway, uh, that that outfit that almost all of their mail. Did you ever wonder what the mail really was that the Pony Express was always riding like hell with? It was orders. Well, that, that was much more important than to write a letter back to your grandmother because if you, you know, if there was only one one express delivery, you know, uh, in your area, you might have been way up in the mountains someplace in, in Utah. You may get to the place where you could send mail out maybe once a year. That's it, man. And they may take one or two letters because there's a lot of other people sending mail, too. So you're not going to send a nice, long, chatty letter back to your cousin Fred. You know? <laughs> so what you did, you sent back an order to the mail, back to the mail order house, back in St. Louis or, or wherever it was where you were ordering your stuff from, because you really needed this stuff. So you were really up against it. You'd run out of flints. You needed all this stuff, you know. Well, then the the, the big moment would come. When a year later, the stuff would arrive. See, everybody runs it. That's a whole big party. So the whole idea of the mail order has always been associated with the frontier and the excitement of getting stuff by mail. It's very exciting. So uh, Sears Roebuck began. And uh, you know how Sears Roebuck started? Why do I know all this stuff? Now, all these guys are going to write, you, Shepard, you must be 150 years old. No, I am a, a student of American history. I really love this stuff. I, I read about it. Nothing to do with nostalgia. It's history. So back in the, in the, around the turn of the century, these guys were traveling around, and they actually were traveling salesmen. That's why the traveling salesman joke is an American joke, that the traveling salesman did not exist to any great degree in the rest of the world, where whole towns and cities had grown up and people lived within reasonable distances of the stores and the, the places where their supplies were. The traveling salesman took the place of the mail. So he would travel out there with a cart or something, a wagon full of stuff, and he would go from farm to farm. And that's why the, the whole idea of the traveling salesman joke became a real American thing. Well, Sears and Roebuck were traveling salesmen, two gentlemen, one named Sears and one named Mr. Roebuck. And they were traveling salesmen. And their, their, their area of, of uh, their, well, their territory, their ter territory was in Wisconsin just north of Chicago, and they traveled around that whole farm country out there. There were a lot of farmers living out there, and uh, they had one special thing they sold. And it was <laughs> strange. The whole Sears Roebuck empire is based on one thing, and that is they sold watches. They sold cheap watches, which was very important to a farmer. Uh, you know, the, the, the ability to keep time, and they sold these, these, uh, these little dollar watches, dollar-and-a-half watches, which the guy could put in his uh, overalls and that. They were very good ones, apparently. Uh, they achieved a reputation for these great dollar watches. Well, they began to develop their business so much till eventually, and they also sold other little things, you know, but mostly the dollar watches, and they became so big that the one day they, uh, they, they worked out of Chicago, or near Chicago, they turned out a flyer, a little flyer, see, and uh, just a little, like a mimeograph sheet, which they sent to all these farmers, showing them other things that they had, and that they could now buy them by mail. All they had to do was write to them, and they'd send them one, see. <laughs> little did they realize what they started. That's exactly how it started, Sears Roebuck. And sure enough, they got all these guys writing back to them. Well, it began to grow until finally... Uh, their mail order became much bigger. They stopped going around and selling stuff in door-to-door, uh, -door, which they had done before, and they began to have uh, nothing but mail orders. And uh, they, that from that little 
folder, which they turned out, which incidentally is now worth a great deal on the book collector's market. That is a real piece of historical Americana. This is WOR New York, speaking of Americana. This is, you know, this is an American thing, too. But uh, they, they, uh, they turned this thing out, and there are very few of them in existence today, the original folders they sent out. And from that, year after year, they would add new things. They, they said, well, uh, gee, you know, a lot of farmers were writing to them, asking them if they could get them uh, strange things, you know, things which they'd never even thought about, they never sold before, like, uh, can you get me a faucet? And so uh, they, they got two or three orders for faucets, and they never sold them. So they decided, okay, we'll go out and get faucets. And so the next thing you know, they began to develop this fantastic catalog until ultimately the catalog in a few short years began to weigh, you know, like 20 pounds. And people would, would shop from this catalog. And uh, that was the very beginning of the whole concept of what you call the Sears Robot concept today. Well, now, among other things, this is something that... Uh, before we go into commercial, uh, uh, give me a little give me a little of that music there, Herb. Let's get these commercials out before we go into this thing. Yeah, thank you. Right. One thing you can't sell by mail is travel. you got to go there. <laughs> That's the inside of Shepard for tonight. And uh, here's one. You know, the reason that I'm, I'm coming out is, is that with all these different things every night for TAP, maybe I better explain something to you. That uh, TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, has a whole, uh, almost a whole lexicon of different types of tours that you can take. Uh, and they're all different prices. They include different places you can go. In other words, you go down there and you get yourself a tour of a whole different area, and that includes transportation and so on. And you can, different types of tours. Now here, for example, is one that is a, a sun-type tour. If you want to get a lot of sun, for $409, you go to Lisbon, the Algarve, and Madrid. Now, Algarve is the Riviera of uh, Portugal. It's beautiful beaches and all that. And for $409, you get these, these three great areas, Lisbon, the Algarve, and Madrid. Uh, TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, has a two-week royal treatment tour. And uh, you really take in the sun, man, when you take this tour of the, of the Portuguese Riviera. It's really magnificent. And so is uh, one of my favorite cities in the world is Lisbon. If you've never been there, you really should make the scene. And then, of course, then you go over to... Uh, to Madrid, and everybody knows what Madrid is about. So call your travel agent if you'd like to find out about this great $409 tour. You tell them it's the one that includes the Algarve Royal Treatment Tour. 421, the number is 421-8500 for complete details. That's $409, two weeks, the Riviera. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And while we're on the subject of... of uh, merchandise here. If any of you have got problems with your skin, we have a commercial here for an outfit that's called Dermacon Laboratories for people with troubled skin, and they have a thing called Zit Kit, which if you have acne or real problems with blackheads and so on, blemishes of one kind or another, it's a complete treatment. You use it uh, as a, it has three different products, one of them the Dermacon Skin Cleanser and the Dermacon Medicated Lotion which is used uh, during the day. You put this on during the day. Uh, the skin cleanser, of course, you clean your skin with it. And the Dermacon medicated cream, which is put on at night, works while you sleep. So if you'd like to try this, it's uh, medically uh, proven. 
and uh, it's not one of these things that peel your skin or anything like that. You get a 30-day trial of it and give it a, give it a whirl, see what happens. You can buy the Dermacon Zit Kit at Genovese, Whelan, Whelan rather, Genovese, Whelan, Mac, and the Drug Guild and other leading pharmacies, Dermacon. All right, you uh, Chinese food cuckoos, have you tried the Great Shanghai? Let me tell you, if you haven't, you might have missed out on some of the most fantastic Chinese food in all of New York. Few, very few, and I, I'll tell you this absolutely straight from the shoulder, very few restaurants in New York have kitchens large enough to accommodate the number of chefs from all the different regions of China that they have in the Great Shanghai. They come from Cantonese, northeastern China, Setsuan, all over the whole area there. And you can have food from all these different areas of China in the Great Shanghai. Fantastic menu. You won't believe the menu. And I would like to suggest you try the Great Shanghai Sunday Brunch. It is really great. They serve it from 11 to 4 Sunday. All you can eat for two seventy-five. It's a buffet. And children under four feet tall are a buck and a half. That's the Great Shanghai Broadway at 103rd. And there's an IRT station right there. The Great Shanghai Broadway at 103rd Street. It is good. Now, the reason that I dig... Uh, Oh, one more thing I was going to say, you know, about this this thing of uh, Sears Roebuck. It's a fascinating scene uh, that that around about the time of World War One, this is all historical stuff that uh, really I think ultimately people because I think there's two histories that happen to a, a, a nation at any given time. One is the social history, the history of uh, of what you know life is like during that time, and the other is the event history which is to say uh, World War One is an event history. That's, uh, you know, what Barbara Tuckman's field, what happened in World War One, and what generals were involved and what statesmen were involved. That's, that's conventional history. Well, social history is something else again. At that very time that World War One was, was, uh, was uh, hotting up and the things were swinging into, into gear for a giant war, uh, a lot of other things were happening. You know, a lot of people say... A lot of histor historians, uh, among them Tuckman, for example, believe that the watershed uh, thing that, let's say, forever destroyed the the olden world, the ancient world, uh, the not really the ancient world, but the old world, was World War One. This is the Guns of August syndrome. That when World War One came, that changed the whole thing. And after 1917, when the end of the war, 1918, World War One was over that a whole new world began. That's the modern world that all of us are part of. And most people talk about World War I as being the important event that occurred that caused this to come about. Well, now there's a new growing theory. Uh, and it's, uh, it says that social history is more important than event history. I tend to agree. Uh, social history, in other words, did the advent of, uh, at the time of the... Uh, turn of the century, just before the turn of the century, the advent of a tremendous technological sudden mushrooming when the telephone, uh, the telegraph, when the automobile, the combustion engine, uh, when all these things suddenly came into reality and began to be widely used, did that have a greater effect on the world and the way people live than, say, a war that came about at the same time? Or were they tied in? That's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> you know, it really is. So ultimately, 
the, the, the question is, how important is this uh, type of uh, history? In other words, did, did Henry Ford, who, who really, he didn't invent, you know, the idea of mass production. A lot of people think he did, but he, he, uh, he did, uh, he created a whole new concept in labor and everything else. You know, of course, in fact, a lot of people will say that Henry Ford was the guy that, that really, in a sense, created the modern attitude towards working and wages. Uh, historically, there was a fantastic uh, unbelief, disbelief that swept all over the country when Henry Ford, uh, Henry Ford Sr., of course, uh, instituted in his factories a, a totally revolutionary concept. And uh, it was tied in with mass production, but it was a totally revolutionary concept. Five dollars a day, period. It's incredible. It would be like if somebody said today we're going to pay a flat, flat fee of a hundred dollars a day. That would be a fantastic, you know, for labor. That would be an incredible concept, really. Although not as incredible as it was a few years ago. And, and so this was, this was a, a real revolutionary thing that came about, and that was a long time ago when he did this. So uh, there's a lot of questions whether or not a, 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 a guy like Henry Ford was as, was as important historically as, say, somebody like Woodrow Wilson. A good question. Uh... The far-lasting effects of a guy like Henry Ford is still being felt. You know what he what he actually did. So so uh, Sears Roebuck had its had its role. Do you know? And this this is a, this is something probably a lot of you would be surprised to find out. Did you know that that Sears Roebuck during those days uh, when when uh, the automotive were one of the things that made Sears Roebuck different? There were a large number of of other. Uh, mail order houses all around the country, but they were conventional. They stuck with the conventional stuff. In other words, they mail order. They would sell plumbing supplies, and they would sell uh, horse collars or whatever it is that was very important at the time. But Sears became very technologically oriented very early in its history. Sears Roebuck. So that uh, Sears Roebuck made a deal with Henry Ford. <laughs> this is fascinating. Very few people know this. Did you know that at one time, Sears Roebuck sold Model A Fords by mail in kit form? You did know that. Well, then that's obvious he made a deal with Henry Ford. In short, Ford produced a, a special car for Sears Roebuck that was in a kit form. So that you could order a Ford, you could order a Model A, say, if you lived out in Utah, somewhere out in the boondocks. It would be, uh, there were no roads. They couldn't drive the car out there or anything like that in those days. So the car would be shipped in a kit form, knocked down, totally kit form. And you'd get this whole uh, instruction manual, and, and uh, any guy could put it together. They, uh, the car was designed such that with ordinary tools like uh, wrenches, a couple of pair of pliers, and, and uh, screwdrivers, you could put this whole car together in a comparatively short time, you know, like a you know a couple of nights of work, a week maybe, something like that. Out in the barn, the guy puts together his Model A or his Model T. It was a T. It was not the A. I'm sorry, it was not the T, not the A. It was the Model T. So uh, um, it, when when this car was put together, now it was a it was a conventional Model T, but it was built by the guy who got it. Now that was much cheaper too, obviously, because it saved a lot of. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of labor, and everything else, and it was uh, it was sold in a kit form. Came in a great big box. Now, uh, recently, within the past uh, five or six years, there was a great historic find made 
that really rocked a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, vintage car people that a shipment of ten in their boxes, ten brand new, untouched, un uh, the seals not even touched, were found ten model T's completely in uh, sealed in their waterproof containers and everything were found in a railroad warehouse. Uh, they had been ordered many, many years ago, and something happened. They weren't claimed or something. Uh, paperwork was all lost. And these things were in a warehouse for a long time. And someplace out in, uh, in the Midwest somewhere, in Iowa or someplace like that, I don't know where it was. Where it was. But they, were, they, they came across these things. And you can imagine what, what they're worth on the collector's market. It's just incredible. It's a brand-new Model T, absolutely brand-new. <laughs> and an authentic one, too. It's not, a, it's not one that was built up. So... Uh, Sears got into that very early. Well, of course, then they then they began to expand even further than that. And I don't know why I'm doing this whole thing about Sears, but it's interesting to most people who don't know this kind of history. They began to go into other areas when radio became very big. Sears Roebuck had in its catalog a whole radio parts section. Not radio section, radio parts. So guys living out, in, again, out in the boondocks, could order parts from Sears and could build a radio, and they supplied plans. They, they, uh, you could buy the plans and the whole bit. And if you look at the Sears robot catalogs of that period, and there are many of them still existing, you'll find uh, listing all kinds of uh, parts and cabinets a guy could order and uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, then later on, uh, Sears decided, well, what's the point of uh, of uh, selling a kit? Why not uh, put the kits together here? You see, they began by doing it that way putting these kits together and selling them. And uh, if you didn't want to put it together yourself, you could order it put together for a few dollars more. So ultimately, they, they went to v different companies, and those companies then produced radios for Sears. And uh, what was the name of the radio? That's right, Herb, Silvertone. And uh, <laughs> now, why Silvertone? Ho, ho, ho. You don't know that, do you? Well, it was a very famous... Uh, uh, radio electronic designer of the period, and uh, he had a company. He built radios, too, his own, named McMurdo Silver. Did you ever hear that name? Well, McMurdo Silver was a famous engineering genius of the period. He was like, a, you know, radio... In, in, well, he was a, he was a famous uh, radio engineer, designed radios. And so he designed the radios they had, and so they called him a silver tone. <laughs> That's a kind of a... Uh, so all this stuff ties in, but ultimately, uh, this this catalog here is, is fascinating. This is the J.C. Whitney catalog, and uh, I, whenever it comes in the mail, I always really look at this thing, because it's really fascinating reading. Now, the catalog uh, is all things, the world's largest, they say on the front, world's largest and most complete line of automotive parts and accessories. And boy, they're not kidding. For example, now, here, I, here. Here they've got, uh, I'm, I'm just going in the back here, take a look at, at, at one of the things they're particularly famous for. Now, here you go. Here is a, here's pages and pages of stuff. Completely all parts that are available and so forth for Model A Fords. Ancient cars. Now, these cars are, you know, many, many years old. Now, I'll show you what some of the stuff you can order in here. <laughs> I mean, you just take a look at it. It says... Uh, uh, roadster handles. Now, a handle, you know what a handle, a grab handle is for a roadster. It's a handle to get into the roadster because the roadster had a, a rumble seat. 
And to get into this thing, you know, they had to have a handle. See, so you can order a grab handle roadster, uh, beautifully chrome. It says identical. It's an original part. Fits on rear deck. It assists passengers to climb into the rumble seat. And uh, it's uh, complete uh, with with mounting accessories and so on for 1928 through 1931 Ford Model A Roadsters. And the complete kit is $4.98. Now, you can buy, uh, have you ever seen these spare tires? Spare tire covers, you know, that go on the back, that, that canvas type that go on the back? Well, you know that, that in the, the days of the side mounts, they had these real elegant-looking white ones in the back with a big insignia. Well, you can buy them here. Canvas uh, with genuine, authentic uh, Ford emblem or Chevrolet emblem costs uh, fourteen dollars. Heavy-duty tan, waterproof, will protect your uh, <laughs> protect your tires and so on. So uh, all this stuff is, is you can buy seats, you can buy engine parts. Uh, here's here's all the engine stuff over here. Sheet metal body parts for 1928 Ford. Now, if you uh, have a 1928 Ford and you're having trouble with your fender well. It's uh, it's uh, rusted out. You can buy a fender well there. You can buy uh, running board kits, hood clamps, radiator shell. You know what a radiator shell, complete with insignia, costs? Now that's that chrome radiator shell, a Model A radiator shell. It says 1928 through 29, two years. It says uh, authentic. Uh, this is uh, absolute top quality steel, uh, beautifully plated. Contains all uh, all original. Uh, Lines and is absolutely authentic. Thirty-three dollars, forty-nine cents. Model A radiator gas caps. Here's a moto meter locking cap for Model A Ford. Now, moto meter, this thing is a is one of those round things that stick out of the front of the uh, hood, out of the radiator, and it tells you the the temperature. You know, the little gauges on it. Well, you can buy one that has a Model A Ford emblem on it, and it ain't cheap at twenty-two ninety-five. And, uh, but there it is, if you need one. You know, if you need one, you'll pay anything for it. Of course, here's all the motor stuff. I'm just curious what a complete engine would sell for here. Here's body harness, engines. Let's see, engines. These are all accessories. Engine, engine, engine. Uh, look at those fantastic grills. they got a complete collection of grills for about a thousand different types of cars. Dodge, 1932 Dodges, 1937 Fords. <laughs> They're all, man, just a complete collection. Now, this this uh, this is only part of what they do. Let's, you, you ought to see the stuff they've got for camping in here. It's incredible. Uh, you know, here, here we go. Uh, look at this. You could buy a kit to convert the trunk of your Mustang into an absolutely waterproof, sleeps to camper. Now, how do you like that? In other words, you open the trunk and this thing folds out and it makes a camper right out of the trunk of your Mustang. <laughs> All right, here you can get a horn. Now, they have a, they have four pages of horns alone. Do you know that, that, that right now available, if you're, if you're a real horn cuckoo, you can get a horn that roars like a tiger. Yeah, yeah it, says, uh, it sounds like a real tiger under the hood. It says, motor-driven horn that actually sounds like a roaring tiger. I don't know what a roaring tiger sounds like, but uh, can you imagine yourself sneaking up on a Fifth Avenue bus and letting that thing go? You know, or a little old lady's crossing the street, you know, and you sneak up on a... <laughs> a roaring tiger horn, by the way, is 16.98. those of you that are technically minded. Now, uh, you can get uh, such things as old-style mountain bus horn. It says the big, big, big sound. You mean you've never heard those sounds? 
Oh man, you! I I uh, I almost got scared right out uh, right off the road one night. I was uh, driving through West Virginia, and you know how you drive along. It's late at night, and my head was kind of asleep, and I'm just driving along, booming along through the darkness, nothing around me, uh, at, at least that I could see. And I was going around these bends in the in the mountains, when all of a sudden there was this fantastic just went. Telling you, it was. I, I really, I, I still remember it. With I, I, I get clammy inside. Well, there was this gigantic bus right behind me, and this guy came right up behind me, and he laid on that thing, and it just peeled the tin right off my fenders. It just blapped, and that, you can get one of those. They're beautiful, seventeen ninety eight. It's great for your Volkswagen. Uh, yeah, well, sure. <laughs> you make a big sound anyway, and uh, you can get uh, a, a Mustang horn that whinnies. If uh, you want your your Mustang to whinny, you can get it to whinny like a real horse. It says it's kind of nice. Here is a triple four-trumpet musical horn that plays a complete octave. So if you want to go down and play a little Bach, you know, you can knock off a little Bach on this thing. It says it has a control board in the car. So you come down, bum, bum, bum. You could begin some nice symphony like that. Bum, 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 bum. And, uh... It's a good, quick way to get yourself about a $50 fine in most towns, but uh, it's not a cheap horn either. That baby goes for, uh, well, no, that's not bad, considering you can play tunes and everything on $32.95. It says, it says 250 decibels of pure sound. That's right. That's right, 250. That's about the same as a, as a, as a 747 passing overhead, eight feet uh, above your head. That's about the sound you'd get. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, this is a fascinating thing, uh, and so when you look at catalogs, in fact, I'm I'm uh, I'm thinking of doing a whole uh, whole thing on catalogs. Don't it's nothing to do with nostalgia because it's just fascinating to look at. All. I have to keep telling you this because old duffers are going. Hey, do you remember the Pitcairn Warehouse catalog that they used to turn? No, this I'm not. This is not my contemporary scene. I have to disappoint you. But I am a catalog cuckoo because I just like to look at them. Uh, now here, here, here's their. Uh, oh, I mean, if you if you want to go into uh, if you want to go into customizing your car, you can get. <laughs> I'll tell you, you can get wigs, you can get birds, you can get stuff for the side of your car. You can make your Volkswagen look like a uh, a 1948 Mark IV Lincoln Continental. Uh, you can, yeah, do you know that, that they've, they've, you can buy complete bodies, see? Uh, complete bodies where you take your ordinary body off and you fit this other body on to your car. So if you're tired, you know, of driving your 53 Galaxy, you just crawl under it one day and, uh, with a few, uh, few quick twists of your, uh, your uh, magic screwdriver and your, your big wrench, you just lift the body right off, see? And then you lower a Ferrari body on it. And it's made out of plastic, and uh, <laughs> nobody... That's right! I'm not kidding you! And, and uh, there it is. It sounds, it sounds insane. Now, of course, uh, uh, they have all kinds of things that... Uh, that uh, here, here, here you go. Here's, here's, it says the goodies department. Uh, the goodies department. The beach buggies department. And here is, it says for... Uh, they have 18 pages for nothing but Volkswagen cuckoos. Buy all kinds of things, you know, little pictures of uh, Herman Goering's head that you can use for the, the for the gear shift knob, and you know that you could actually buy those. Did you know that? <laughs> well, 
it's not in this catalog, but I've seen it. They talk about macabre sense of humor. You can get your choice of Herman Goering, Joseph Goebbels, or Adolf himself. And there it says, lifelike, beautifully modeled, uh, lifetime polyethylene and all that jazz, and it will fit any ordinary gear shift now, particularly VWs. So, you know, <laughs> now that's what we call sick humor. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you can get these things. Now, uh, in addition to that, you can buy, uh, you know, spastics. You can buy almost anything you care. Now, here, uh, here uh, for example, is, is an entire motorcycle section. Now, did you know that you can buy, uh, you can buy rebel flag gas tanks for your motorcycle? I mean, if you're tired of that old, you know, that the shell on the middle of the gas tank there, that little thing that says Yamaha on the side. Well, you can buy one. You just take it off, and it's a beautifully uh, lightweight, strong, fiberglass, permanently molded, and it says it proclaims your rebel nature. You can, go <laughs> you can buy a rebel flag a gas tank. So uh, that's why I'm fascinated with looking at this thing. Here, uh, here you can get... Uh, oh, yes, this is kind of great. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that my old man was always ordering. Uh, they have a thing that says that guaranteed, it says, we'll give you up to 700 miles to the gallon of gas. You know, just add this uh, little magic ingredient to your gas tank. And, you know, my dad was always ordering that kind of stuff. He loved to, you know, mess that, with that stuff. You ever seen those ads? Uh-huh. Well, you see, he, part of his theory was, hey, you can find one of those ooga horns. You know, the auga. Yeah, it's an auga horn. It says, auga horn. It says, well, go great on your 1972 caddy. <laughs> yeah, I would. And uh, you can buy one of those for uh, eleven ninety-five. Comes complete chrome-plated. Goes auga. Yes, and and, and uh, oh, incidentally, that's another new uh, kind of a hip thing people are doing. It's kind of a, it's it's out in the West Coast. It's not spread to the East Coast yet. And you know what that is? That's getting a car like a brand new, say uh, a nineteen seventy-two uh, Vega or something like that. You know, it's a new car, so you get a seventy-two Cadillac. Take the body off of it, see. They just lift the body right off. They discard the body or sell it or something. It's a brand new one, see. Now you've got this chassis, this beautiful brand new chassis. And then you lower onto it a body of a 1932 uh, Dodge. <laughs> something, you know. You just lower it down. You've got this exotic car. So, you know, you're driving down the street and guys come up next to you and they think, oh, boy, watch me, watch me tear this guy, you know. Hey, look at that guy in the old foot. You put it first, blah, you know, zap, you're gone. Then you can honestly, they don't really build cars like they used to build them, you know. And, uh, sure, uh, one, of the, one of the first guys I met uh, who did that was Paul Newman. You know Newman, the actor? Well, uh, I remember Newman. Uh, one, of, one of the first things that, uh, we talked about, I met Newman, and he had taken a, uh, a Volkswagen. Yeah, he, had, he had this, uh, he bought... A, a beautifully tuned chassis, complete with engine and everything, of a very fast, mean Porsche. I mean the meanest you could get. And then he lowered a Volkswagen body onto it, an old battered one. <laughs> Caused a lot of consternation at certain uh, stoplights. Oh, yes. Uh, and so this, this, uh, this is all part of the, uh, the flim-flam world of now. Well, look at that, for heaven's sakes. I didn't think they sold those. Well, do you know that you can now buy a portable John for your car? Yeah, with a little folding door that goes around the towel line. It just fits beautifully into the... <laughs> oh, God, when will it ever stop? So, friends, be brave. Uh, take a clean thought between now and tomorrow. Stand up straight. Pull your gut in. Look to the future. 
see that sun coming up over the horizon and march with a confident step. Yes, confident. <laughs> uh, this is WOR New York. We 